This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday already. Wow, it's Thursday already. Sweet 16 will be going underway tonight. Four games on tap. And of course, we'll have an opportunity to look into that over the program as well. But the Avs and Nuggets were both in action last night. And uh, we will look at the one that did not go so well to start. And that would be the Colorado Avalanche, who dropped a game at home to Sidney Crosby, who, by the way, with a phenomenal goal. Sidney Crosby and the Penguins last night. Yeah, I mean, that was a almost, you had to say, turn back the clock. Yeah, I almost didn't say it because it's not as if Crosby's fallen off a cliff, but that did feel like a Sidney Crosby of old type of performance where he was not an old Sidney Crosby. Right, right. The, the, the best player on the ice last night, it looked oh, I like. Thought so. And uh, I thought it, so. it looked like that kind of player. So uh, the Avs uh, miss an opportunity to gain a couple of points on the two teams ahead of them in their division in Dallas and Minnesota. Both of those teams will be active tonight, by the way. But they fall at home 5-2 to two to the Penguins. And uh, you don't want to make too much of this. It is a non-conference game. Uh, it's, it's not the end of the world, but it is admittedly a missed opportunity and it is a continuation of a habit that we've seen from the avalanche this year on at least one other occasion during these last 30 games or so in which they've been so hot within that stretch they've lost twice to pittsburgh once in overtime and once last night in regulation by scores of 2-1 and 5-2 They have faltered every time they've had a chance to catch Dallas and or Minnesota. That's true. It it feels like every single time there's that window. Finish uh, the evening's work with a chance to, as was the case last night, control its own destiny because it would have created a three-way tie for first. The Avalanche would uh, come out of the game, as they do even in losing, with a game in hand still. So their 90 points would represent a higher winning percentage than the 90 points Dallas has, the 90 points Minnesota has. Both teams play tonight. Uh, One's in Philadelphia, and the other is hosting Pittsburgh. That would be Dallas. Yeah, on on the second. Hosting Pittsburgh on the second night of of a road back-to-back for Pittsburgh. uh, Pittsburgh figures to be just as desperate as... They were last night, but my question to you would be, and Jared Bednar seemed to be asking the same question after the game, why was a chance to secure, which they did by winning, a playoff spot Mm -hmm. for Pittsburgh? Why was that more important to the Penguins than finishing the night in first place seemed important to the Avalanche? And that was Jared Bednar's question after the game because he presented that in his pregame talk with his team that with a win, much as we emphasized yesterday, the Avalanche could have been in first place in the Central Division. And that didn't seem to produce the kind of resolve that Pittsburgh played with knowing that it's playoff. Life is on the line. So Pittsburgh, by winning, overtakes Florida. However, temporarily. Right. Pittsburgh gains ground 
and earns a playoff spot, the Avalanche, with a chance to move into first place, falter. And especially in the second period, took basically four consecutive penalties. And they were silly penalties for the most part. Uh, they spent a good chunk of the period um, shorthanded. They are not a good penalty-killing team. I'm not sure I understand the reason for that, but it was true last year, and they still won the Cup. Uh, I thought Georgiev might have been their best player last night. They gave up 43 shots on goal, and 39 saves out of 43 shots is not spectacular, but it certainly isn't bad, and he made saves. I was watching in the second period. I thought at the end of two periods, the score should have been at least 5-1 to one and maybe worse. Instead, it was 3-1. to one. The Avs score to make it 3-2. And as they did earlier in the game, when they were up 2-0 and the Avs cut it to 2-1, to one, Pittsburgh almost immediately responded and restored its two-goal lead. Yeah, the, the Avs, obviously, you know, we are talking about the, the pretty chippy play in the second period. Curtis McDermott with a cross-check against Archibald Cogliano. Uh, less than a minute later, with a hold against Crosby, Logan O'Connor. Later in the period, a tripping Drew O'Connor. And then you had the matching roughings with Crosby and Helm, but Helm getting the additional holding minor and those were all essentially in sequence now those who uh, watch the game may disagree with me about this uh, i thought uh, the bottom six uh, were bad last night I, especially the third line i agree uh, the yellow line was was just bad it was and, it and our good friend game. connor Mc, uh, McGahee, uh, yeah. McGahee on the radio uh made the point that it was an uncharacteristically bad game given their recent play. And this would be Eller, Cagliano, and O'Connor. They were bad last night. They were bad. And, were bad. and two of the three took penalties, too. Yes. And They're, so they, it, they just weren't very good. Uh, they did not win their matchup. Um, Colorado has last change, so the Avs could control the matchups last night. And, you know, it's a rare game that they play, I guess, this year without Kale McConnor. Uh, without Kale McCarr that they lose, mm -hmm. but they Oddly. lost last night, and I thought they clearly missed him last night. I, I think playing multiple games without McCarr and Manson both puts people into roles with which they are not necessarily most comfortable. And I think one of those guys is Sam Gerrard, who got exposed, minus three last night. Although, yes. uh, give him some credit, the four block shots yeah. on the night. Yeah. It wasn't I, as if I he wasn't game, well. and it wasn't as if right. the effort was there, but we know that a guy like Gerrard is going to get muscled off the puck right. by bigger guys. Right. There's nothing playing, you can do about it. He's playing with Taves, right. who, who is not... Four, uh, four block shots himself. I mean, they, they yeah. threw themselves they, in they, front of it they, last they, night. They, they were fine in that area, but they, you know... It, Taves is not uh, necessarily uh, all that rambunctious. No. And three giveaways <laughs> last night for Taves. Some giveaways. It was not a particularly good game for Taves and Gerard as a tandem. Uh, Jack Johnson uh, and I believe Bo Byram were the second tandem. And McDermott and Hunt, am I correct? On you that? are correct. Were the third yes, tandem. Sir. And I, I, I just thought it was sort of a bad night all around first 15 minutes were okay um perhaps you could argue the avalanche were the better team the first 15 minutes and were more unlucky in not scoring than they were uh insufficiently aggressive and committed to the puck possession game that they so often have played so well in recent weeks uh, but after that 
I, I thought the last 45 minutes of the game, Pittsburgh dominated. Absolutely dominated in, in virtually every aspect. I want to get I I want to get a little bit worked up about that performance because of what you pointed out. The opportunity there to, to basically control your own destiny the rest of the way, which they had. I just can't do it because they did not have Kale McCarr. Some guys just had the inevitable stinker, which happens, and some of them have yes, at the same time. Yes, they a stinker. That's a and, very and good they, point. And they just won the last six. Yeah. And, and, so, and they you won know, seven out of nine, even with the loss last night. So, they, yes, they, I think we may be guilty of getting carried away with the idea, which I don't think is realistic anymore, that they could – finish with a number one seed yeah but continue your point i, I think, I think that you're, probably you're exactly there. right realistically uh you know they probably have a one in three chance uh to finish first in the central but but beyond that you know you that that's about as much as you can hope for and it's a one in three chance take, take your shot i, I think, that's, I, I think I they like now that. have to beat minnesota yes. and dallas yes. head to head when both of their remaining games against those two teams at home, they have to win them both to mm-hmm. finish first. But they have the opportunity to do it. And so they still haven't entirely lost control of their own destiny here. Now, of course, both those teams are in action. You suspect Dallas getting on a back-to-back, uh, you know, there with uh, Pittsburgh. But then again, Pittsburgh looked really good. So, you know, maybe Pittsburgh's hitting at the right time. So who, who knows? But for the Avs, I just I can't get worked up about this one. We knew that you know, given the injuries, this was going to be a problem. I look at it and say this is a team that won six out of seven. They faced a really hungry team with a couple future Hall of Famers on it, and they got got. Okay, that happens. You, you write the ship. Now you have two. You have a home and home against Arizona, and those you need to take care of business. I know that Arizona is surprisingly good at home in their temporary home, but I'm sorry, it's not you a very good team. You have to you have to take both of these. At least at least three and probably all four of the available points this weekend against Arizona. And then Arizona has 66 three, points. You I mean, do have three back-to-back games left, and Arizona's played better. Arizona recently has mm-hmm. played quite they, a bit They are better. actually a team that is trending in the right direction. They're much better than Chicago. They're much better than San Jose. They're better than Edmonton. They are better than uh, Anaheim. Anaheim. They are not the worst team in the West. Nope. By any means. Nope. They are uh, the next to get eliminated, seemingly, but... But they have not yet been Not yet, like eliminated. the other three teams you mentioned. So, you know, they're still alive, and as if you can imagine, they're going to get the best. The Avs are going to get the best they can they can right. get out of Arizona, who's been playing well, as you pointed out. Uh, 6-1-3. They've won, only lost one regulation game in their last 10 games. So, you know, that's not bad at all. And they're playing for their playoff lives. So the Avs are going to get uh, another tough game. But then again, in this case, they're the vastly better team. Now, in, in Pittsburgh's case, Pittsburgh, yes, was going for that final spot out, out east. But Pittsburgh, with that win, gets to 80 points. The Avs have 88. It's not night and day. Arizona has 66 points. You're just a better team, and you need to take care of business. Basically, you you removed yourself a smidge of a margin for error if you want the top seed by losing this game. Now, sure. you're not going to win them all the rest of the way that happens. But it does mean after this one, like when Jared Bednar pointed out, maybe there was a little lack of urgency there. Okay, well, you got to get hungry now and and put an in. You have three games now, home against Arizona, then at Arizona, and that against Anaheim, a team that's eliminated. You need to put those well, teams away. You've got two games left with Anaheim. You've got two games left with San Jose. They're consecutive games in San Jose. You spend against an eliminated team against an eliminated team and you play them back to back, which I think is a good sign 
if you're talking about an avalanche. But you get a but you get a day you get a day break. They play they played those two games in a row against San Jose, but it's once Tuesday, once Thursday. I I understand even even better. Even better, right? Even better. But to get those two games one right after the other, I think is advantageous uh, to the team that has much more incentive uh, to win than an eliminated team does. I, I like the idea of getting them back to back rather than having to make two trips out to San Jose. Right. They make one trip one to trip. San Jose and play two games, which sure. I think is a rare bit of sane National Hockey League scheduling. Yes. Yes. You get a little odd Bay Area two step against the same team. The, the other point <laughs> I want to make too is, and, and you've touched on this, it's hard to manufacture desperation. And I think Bednar made his best effort. Uh, That's a great way to put I it. I would say but the team they played last night was. That the team last night that came in here is fighting for a playoff spot. The Avalanche are not fighting for a playoff spot. They are fighting for first place. I think there is, as Bednar freely acknowledged, an advantage in finishing first as opposed to finishing second or especially third where you don't have home ice in the first round of the playoffs. That's if you finish third, right? But it isn't the same thing as Pittsburgh's confronting with a year that's gone reasonably well with, uh, I believe, next to Cooper, maybe even ahead of Cooper, the longest tenured coach in the league, and Mike Sullivan. I mean, this is this is not a rookie coaching staff. It's not a young team. It's a veteran team that's got an amazing streak of, What's it been? Seventeen years of yeah, making the playoffs in a row. They, it, so when you challenge them and say you need to win this game, perhaps in order to make the playoffs, that's going to resonate with them more powerfully than telling the defending Stanley Cup champions, "If you win tonight, you'll be in first place." But implicitly even if you lose you still have a chance to be right. in first place just not tonight the uh, you're right by the way mike sullivan the second longest tenured coach in oh, the I'm nhl sorry. Cooper uh, john is cooper is the longest by uh, almost is number three Bednar is number three and it's a leap actually two more years until you get to the fourth longest tenured that's rod brindamore out in carolina who was hired in 2018 so you're talking about experienced coaches there i mean imagine that jared bednar is the third longest tenured coach in the nhl well, what's it been? How seven remar- years? I, yeah, right, but I mean, how years. remarkable. Doesn't seem that long, For right? a guy that Joe Sackick he, he took had over. to kind of scramble and have a little faith in when Patrick Waugh basically quit. August of 16. Via Sportsnet in Canada. Yes. Is is how Patrick Waugh Joe Sackick was one of the last to find right. out. Right. And having to then scramble to bring in Jared Bednar. I mean, keep in mind, his hire, the hire date was August 25th. My birthday. That's why I remember it. Not, All I have to remember is the year. I remember it was on my go birthday. Go look at these other higher dates for, for these coaches that stayed too. March, May, April, May. <laughs> you want well, these? Well, yes. No off coach. seasons. No coach you gets want off season on August 25th. Right. It's way too late. They, they, I bet there isn't a single coach in the league that's been hired during the summer He is the months. only coach in the league right now that was hired in August. All right. And any other coach that was hired later than August was hired mid-season as a replacement. That's it. Now, I know college hockey guys get fired in the summer. Mm-hmm. 
or or spring. There, there are spring. there are some guys that were hired in June. Mel Pearson in the got league. fired at Michigan. Uh, Lindy Ruff year. recently with the Devils was hired in July of twenty twenty. Okay. Uh, All right, but, but, so that's something. But by and large, but he's the only one that's in August. Uh, he's the only one that's any later than July 9th. and so you know that's about when it they about the latest you want it to get. Otherwise, it's guys that were brought in, at, you know, is, is right at the beginning, or if there was a right. disaster, you know, Craig Berube was hired. Uh, in November of 2018 and 20 uh, November 2019, Sheldon well, Key happens. for the Maple Leafs. That happens. Right, that happens right at the end. Mike Sullivan of the, the Penguins was hired in December yeah. of 2015 well, as happens. an originally as, sure. you know, the, the replacement. But uh, it's so easy to overlook. And that's one of the things I, I like what your comment was about Bednar's argument. He didn't throw his guys in the bus. He went, hmm. Kind of interesting. This this team scrambling over there in in our barn seemed to wanted it a little more than our opportunity to take over first place, and just leave it at that. He doesn't he doesn't really he makes his point. He trusts his team and to understand it, it, right? And he leaves it alone. And then he lets the Landis Gogs when he's healthy and the McKinnons and 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 their ilk kind of disseminate that the way they feel it needs to be done in the locker room. And that's part of the success here. And I think that's also why I expect this team. Sandy, I, I expect them to get six points out of the next six. And I think Dryden, they're going to beat Arizona twice and Anaheim. Who, who's one of the brightest people that any of us would ever have the chance to run into in sports. Uh, said something recently in, in a vastly different context, but what he said I think applies to a lot of situations. Especially with, let's say, a defending Stanley Cup champion that's been riding high over the last ten weeks, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part. They've had a couple of bad losses. The Dallas 7-3 loss in Dallas a few weeks ago. That was another chance to maybe move into a position to be in first place. You're right. They go into Dallas, and Dallas beats them 7-3 because Dallas senses, all right, we're playing for first place today, and we're playing in our barn, and we mean business, and that was a national TV game just like the one last night was. Maybe keep the abs off national TV a little bit. Their performances have been a little sketchy. Not all bad, but a little sketchy it's, on yeah, national TV. Yeah, they, they have been. ESPN uh, and TNT. Less last night. consistent, at least, but I would say. I, there has to be a healthy, and maybe a better word is constructive, fear of losing. And I'm not sure the Avalanche had that. And Mark Kislam made a good point in the Denver Post today in his column. When he said, you look at this winning streak, just look at the winning streak, the Cisgame winning streak, and even look at the road trip. Toronto win, great win. But look at the other teams they beat. Montreal, last place team. Ottawa, out of the playoffs. Detroit, out of the playoffs. These are teams you should beat. What we discussed earlier in the week was not merely the fact that the Avalanche won those games, but they won them for the most part, handily. I mean, 8-4 in Montreal, right? right? These were 5-4 in Ottawa, but it was 5-2 to two going into the third period, and the game was well in hand. And, of course, in Detroit, it was a 5-1 game, even though the Avalanche got outshot. So they, they basically dominate these games, and we pointed to their record against non-playoff teams. Uh, I think last night was only their 10th regulation loss to a non-playoff team. Of course, if you chart it today, Pittsburgh's a playoff team. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, so you lost to a playoff team. Well, you made them a playoff yeah, team you by lost, losing You two. lost to a non-playoff so, team uh, in that, that particular that case. That makes the loss yeah. a little bit harder to swallow. But, uh, again, under the circumstances, 
you know, they get Helm back, McCarr's out now. If they go win the next Every three. Every time they get a player back, they lose one or two. They go sweep this home and home with Arizona, and they go beat Anaheim. And then they've won nine out of ten games. I, that's right. I just can't get worked up about this loss. Oh, it, no. No, I mean, it's not doom and gloom. It was, it and was their a, playoff chances aren't affected Disappointing. Win and you know what? I, I will say this for Avs fans. I know you didn't enjoy losing, but it was probably pretty cool if you were out of Ball Arena last night getting to see Sidney Crosby do his thing one more time. At least one more time. Maybe maybe we will see he's 36, right? Right, 36. Maybe we'll see but, him you know, for a while longer. You know, and and, and you, know, you don't know how many special games him. you'll get to see in person. You got to see one last night. That's pretty cool. In mid-career, and you can maybe it's more earlier in his career than mid-career. Remember all the concussions oh, he sustained, certainly. and certainly. you were worried uh, that he would even be not even playing at all at age thirty-six, yeah. much less playing this well. We were thinking right? Eric Lindros type situation. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And so marvel at the chance to see a great player under pressure in a big game, having a great night and being the best player on the ice. And part of the storyline, of course, was the uh, the two uh, uh, longtime friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're separated by about nine, ten years. Same in town, age. though. Cole but Harbor, Nova Scotia. Towns, the Cole Harbor boys. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at least Crosby's team, if not Crosby himself, got the better of McKinnon's abs last night. Well, they'll both one of these days get to be uh, enshrined in the Hall of Fame Absolutely. as well. So there's that. So uh, a disappointing loss for the abs, uh, one they can easily shake off with wins in their next couple of games for the Nuggets. We talked a lot about the Nuggets yesterday, including with the coach George Carl. They took care of business like they were supposed to, but... Some of Michael Malone's habits appeared to arise again. I'll explain next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chantrotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. By the way, if you want to interact on the program, you can always do that. Our call or text line is 303-831-1340. You can also watch the program, by the way. Uh, Andrew Detmer's in, in the booth producing that. With, look, two cameras, a studio. It looks all like, you know, we got a whole show going here. Now we got one that camera out. that's green and one that's Well, red. that means the that means the what one is mean? on. I don't know which one is on. <laughs> is green on or is red on? Well, green light to me means Generally, it's on. Red light is stop e- or off. Except or when you're actually, right? I do some television and red light usually means that's the one that's on. So I don't know. We're just going to well, we're that, just going right. to Pretend they're not here. That's right. Just pretend they're That's not right. here. And then we'll go from there. And, Guys you know, we'll who do that. love the cameras, right, yeah. are sometimes termed red light guys. Right. The red light goes on, mm-hmm. and they're racing for the camera, and you better not get between them and that camera. Yeah. I don't know if that's the, the case with these. I that's don't know. not we'll, you. We'll have to, we'll have I'm to ask. I'm not suggesting that's you. Uh, oh, no. I'm fully aware of what I look like. If cameras are not my friend in general. I mean, it's just not uh, It's not. It's not great. It's not something I've I look for. I've seen you. I've, I've seen you. Oh man, it requires some. Uh, it, requ- it requires shows. that uh, that that Vaseline covered lens that you used to shoot old movies in, like you know the Casablanca and stuff. Yeah, I need that. 
And there's like a very you know, low lighting, soft. Yeah, that that's that's better for me. But uh, yeah, fortunately, people on TV can do some miracles. The Denver Nuggets last <laughs> night, of course, if you were able to catch them on television, you saw that they took care of business, 118 to 104, over a Wizards team that they were supposed to. And uh, for the, this was the kind of game that I think you don't see from the Nuggets too often insofar as the, the, the Wizards were game. And then the Nuggets, I think, and this is just, I don't have the stats in front of me. Sure, just <laughs> what it feels like. Play a bunch of third quarters that tend to let teams into games. Last night, they played a third quarter that ended the oh, game. Oh, yeah. They uh, came out at halftime sure. and effectively ended the oh, game. Oh, I said 39-16. in the third. Game's effectively over. The Nuggets did. You know, the Wizards were able to hang around for the first quarter. By the end of the third. They really were not ahead the, end the, of the half by two. Right. And depending on who you believe, it was either the coach or Jamal Murray. The players say it was Murray. The coach said it was the coach. <laughs> who spoke to them at halftime and reminded them you know, you're playing a triple-A outfit here. Beal is out. Kuzma is out. Right. They're not a playoff team with those guys. Yeah, get on the, the stick here, guys. Let's go. You know, yeah. yeah and Porz- Porzingis was in foul trouble. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Danny was Porzingis right. was good last he night. He was pretty except good. Except for the fact for that the he fouls. was in foul 25 points, really the only guy to mount any offense, whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, they, they got to Is he still the unicorn? Plays. Do they still call him that? I don't know, actually. Kind of dropped off the map a little bit after the Dallas experiment. Didn't really work out. Or uh, the New York experiment. Or the New York experiment. But, you know. But the thing is, he's not a bad player. This is not a guy that can't play. Uh, and when he's the focal point of the offense, like he is here, I mean, he was very effective. 11 for 17. You know, it doesn't. I think that the thing with Porzingis that's odd is for a guy with his extraordinary size, he can't average as few rebounds as he does. He'll be a three last rebound. night. Doesn't rebound. Yeah, it doesn't even do it. Uh, you know, there I've I've had people talk to me about the way that Michael Porter Jr. has played in the past. I don't think has played the way that this year, where he looks as a six ten spot up three point shooter. Mm-hmm. Christoph Porzingis kind of is. Yeah, at that, bigger than it's, at seven foot plus, and very skilled. Yes, but a narrow skill set. And I, I do think, to be fair to Michael Porter Jr. this year, um, for the first half of the season. Uh, he would rebound on opportunities that uh, existed within his area. Right. And now I see him not always, but more often capturing rebounds I mean, outside of his immediate area. In other words, uh, he's shots that are missed yeah. that bounce right to him. Those are the only shots he'd rebound before. And now I see him getting to loose balls or rebounding outside of his immediate and area. And the, the numbers bear and, it out. Good for him. Seven rebounds uh, last night from Michael Porter Jr. in 31 minutes. And you can also tell because they tend to come at Aaron Gordon's expense. Gordon had one in yeah. 31 minutes. One rebound. Porter Jr., by the way, 21 last night. Seven boards. Uh, yeah, nice game. Two assists. Nice a pair game. of steals. Yeah. Six for nine from three. Whoa. Okay. I mean, it, he and is, he's become he is really coming into his own and, and tied for the team lead with Jokic and Gordon at a plus twenty eight on the night. Right. And and when teams are making runs, he's become a guy who, not that he's ever afraid to shoot, but can be relied upon to make the backbreaking three that breaks up yeah. the run. Mm-hmm. That's why it's backbreaking. Yep. It breaks up the run, and we have seen him make. Uh, more often than I remember seeing him make in the past, big shots in the last three or four minutes of close games. 
when he is on the floor, which uh, <laughs> right. is another bone of right. Uh, and that that part of the substitution thing is interesting as well. But Porter Jr., I think when you're looking about how this team has gone, now that we're getting this far into it, yeah, you talk about Jokic and yeah, you talk about Murray and everyone's talked about Gordon, but very quietly, Porter Jr. is sort of the fourth person people talk about on this team. I'm not sure that the improvement of Michael Porter Jr. isn't not only a difference, but maybe the biggest difference between last year's Nuggets and this year's Nuggets. With a more diversified, consistent offense, with a, a better effort on defense. He's never going to be a stopper, but the effort has gotten better. Pursuing the rebound. Gosh, we saw him dunk over Jokic. He posterized his own teammate on a putback, being hyper-aggressive, going after rebound and trying to score. That is that is new. We haven't seen that from Michael Porter Jr., I, and that been, is a major benefit to the Nuggets. Yeah, I've, I've probably been more impressed with Murray throughout the season, but maybe my expectations for Murray weren't, as great because I thought his minutes would have to be managed uh, with Porter. He's because of his defensive weaknesses. He's probably always going to be a 29, 30, 31 minute a game guy, depending on the circumstances. Which is still going to make him a 20 plus point per game score. Right. Uh, Murray's obviously playing quite a bit more than that. And I, I think Murray has been better, but I also think, as George Carl has pointed out, I think Porter is less reliant on Jokic than Murray is reliant on Jokic. I would agree with that. I, I think that at this and stage... And that was George's argument for bringing Porter off the bench. Yeah, I, I, that I you think you want to keep make Murray and Jokic together in the game at the same time, substitute now, them out at roughly the same time. Porter Jr. obviously can benefit from the way that Jokic passes guys open, but Porter Jr. is 6'9", 6'10", right. and can get and, can and get is very skilled at getting his own shot. Right. And so you're right. I think there is something to that. And uh, the, the takeaway is not only that the Nuggets did what they needed to do. They, they buckled down. They, they got things fixed at halftime. They put a bad team away. However, let's look at some of the stuff that's not so good and some of the stuff that is good. Now, start with the good stuff. Uh, Bruce Brown with 29 minutes off the bench, kind of his norm. He basically gets starters minutes. Next guy off the bench with the most minutes, Christian Brown, 16, something you've been advocating for. Jeff Green with 15. Zeke Naji returns yeah. and gets 12. Fine. And it's so much of a, a blowout that Thomas Bryant gets three minutes. And Peyton Watson even gets a couple of minutes on the floor. But Yoka still played 34 minutes. Murray still played 33 minutes to lead the team. And at one point, they were both on when the Nuggets had a 13-point lead with roughly five minutes to go. And that's where I kind of, if if I didn't shave my head already, I would have been pulling a little bit more hair out because that part is kind of what frustrates me. Like, you're up 15. The Wizards are clearly beaten. You can see the body language. You have to find a way to buy those couple minutes here and there. Don't you get the feeling, and I'm sure it's not always the case, but don't you get the feeling with... Malone, that they could be up 23 with five minutes to go and Jokic and Murray be out there. Maybe they not could that be much, up but I get 13 with five minutes to go. Well, we watched that. They're still out there. They are. And obviously, they're always out there. If it's a three-point game with five minutes to go, you'd expect that. But I think there is a certain rigidity in Malone's coaching. And I, I'm watching last night, too. And even with, I mean, the game's over. 
after three quarters. And I know he got nervous the other day, too, and jammed him back into the game. Um, and and, and I, I, I just don't know if he is trying to send a message to his bench players if the lead is 24 and all of a sudden it's 13. You know, the Brooklyn game. Right. Where I, I, I thought he jammed him back in the game when he really didn't have to. But I, I just, They weren't in danger. Sandy, I don't think he coaches game. that way. But this is not... Look, Michael Malone's not a new coach to this team. No. I think there is a lack of imagination when it comes to the way he substitutes. And we talked about this uh, when they got bounced from the playoffs last year and how at no point would you even want to try DeMarcus Cousins and Nikola Jokic on the floor for just a couple minutes when DeMarcus Cousins has played for a lot of his career. Uh, Nikola Jokic is kind of basically playing point guard in the middle. of it. I mean, why not try it, right, when they weren't having other successes? And it, I think that's just who Michael Malone is. And waiting for an adjustment, waiting for a change is not going to happen. This is just the guy. He plots out, this is going to be how I substitute, when I substitute, unless the game gets so dramatically out of hand in either direction that it makes no, then at that point it makes sense to crumple the plan up and throw it away. But he's just not a guy that deviates from his plan and in-game feel. And and, uh, you said earlier this week, let's set that out, with the exception of timeouts, which I think he he uses timeouts rather well. Uh, With the exception of timeouts, the in-game management for Michael Malone simply is not his strength. It doesn't seem to be. The worry is, at a certain point, when you start getting into conference semis and conference finals, and maybe even the NBA finals, you're going to be facing coaches that more often than not are better on the in-game field than Michael Malone is. And that can be a difference in a close game. And there will be close games in the playoffs. <laughs> Most and, certainly. Uh, it, a quick review, because we talk about playoff matchups, possible playoff matchups, and for today anyway, and it may change tonight, Last night, I think I have this right. Uh, Dallas is in ninth place now. They lost to Golden State by two, and Mark Cuban went nuts after right. the game and did, because he thought there had been a refereeing snafu. Uh, I think at the end of the third quarter, not at the end of the game, right. end of the third quarter, where his team thought coming out of a timeout, it was he their had ball. the ball. It turned out to be Golden State, and... Uh, the referees got a yeah. free dunk. And the referees actually said, following that, by the way, that they had motioned Golden State ball. The second motion, which Dallas thought meant their ball, was for their timeout. Right. The Warriors seemed confused but, too. They were looking back, on right? Like, Why is no well, one covering thought, us? They thought they had the ball. Right. But they, 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 yeah, they, they clearly they did. The <laughs> they weren't confused because they had the ball. They were confused because Dallas. Dallas was, was all the way on the other end of the, of the court. Yeah, everyone. But if Dallas had won that game, they would have overtaken Golden State. And Golden State would have been where Dallas was before the game. But instead, when Golden State wins, they stay, I think, sixth. Right? Golden State is sixth. Which, which means they're out of the play-in. Correct. And Dallas is ninth, very much in Scotland. Dallas in is the a half game out of being out, out of the entirely. playoffs entirely. So you can understand, uh, it, ordinarily you'd say with with Cuban protesting, a play that happened at the end of the third quarter, you lost by two points, really. Uh, how many chances do you have to win the game in the fourth quarter? But because of the import of any game like this. And it costs $10,000 to protest it. Mark Cuban, right. that falls out of his oh, socks. He doesn't sure. care. Yeah, sure. He doesn't care about that. 
but that that's how close it is. And you have games tonight on the schedule that will further scramble the standings. But for right now, one versus eight would be Denver versus Oklahoma City. And we all agreed, including George Carl, who was on with us yesterday, that the one team out of the eight or nine that are still in contention, either to make the play-in tournament or make the playoffs, without the play-in tournament, the one team you don't want to face in the first round might be Oklahoma City. I mean, I don't because like they're Dallas. young and they play defense. Dallas doesn't play any defense. Right. And Golden the, State the Nuggets plays are a ridiculously no efficient offensive team. It is the best way to beat the Nuggets, quite frankly, is not to match point for point with them. No. It is to find a no. way to derail what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And Oklahoma exactly. City has given the Nuggets trouble. I mean, As we'll you see. You pointed out earlier. Yeah, right show. now, Sandy, the difference between. Number five, the Clippers, and number twelve, New Orleans, out of the playoffs is two and a half games. Yes, it is it's, madness it's in the West right now. Comical. I, I don't think we've ever seen a year like this, this with tight? the current format, where the difference between fifth and twelfth, which is massive in the East, is inside of three games. Last week, in Golden the West. State was out of the playoffs. If it would have started out. And now they're not even <laughs> not in the play-in play play tournament, and, as it stands and a, now. And that my only hold up tonight. So, I mean, absolutely a bizarre situation. But it, let's quickly review for people who aren't necessarily familiar. We, we've got the play-in tournament in the NBA. Now, it isn't like a regular tournament where you'd have four teams, uh, seven through ten, and seven would play ten, and eight would play nine. That's not how it works. Right. And I think the NBA got this right. Yeah, it's a little convoluted, but I think it provides the fair seven result. Seven plays eight, mm-hmm. and nine plays ten. The winner of seven and eight is the seventh place team. They don't have to play anymore. And seven is the host team for the one game against eight. Then you have nine hosting ten. The loser of that game is done. Mm-hmm. No more chances. The winner of that game between 9 and 10 plays the loser of 7 versus 8, and the winner of that game is the 8th seed. And it does so, seem convoluted. But yes, it, but Oklahoma it City is 8th for now. Yeah. And I believe would play at Minnesota Correct. if the playoffs or the play-in tournament started today. Yeah, and that ensures, of course, the teams are trying to get wins right down to the very end because you don't want to face a one-and-done. If you can help it, you'd like to basically immediately get into the playoffs only playing one game extra than everybody else. So, I mean, I think you're right. It is an interesting design. And the Nuggets, of course, trying to win the West for the first time in their history as an NBA franchise. would be more than happy to let those teams bang each other up for a little while before they end up getting anybody. Of course, their next big game coming up, uh, yeah, it's a real big one. On Saturday, so let's let's keep our attention right here with the Nuggets because uh, the next two and how they get handled. You want to see if they're contenders? This is how you find out. We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The next two games for the Denver Nuggets. You want a litmus test to see if you're a title contender. Uh, how about this? 
They come back home after that five-game road trip, in which they go three and two. And then you get Milwaukee on Saturday, the best team in the NBA. And then you get Philadelphia on Monday, sitting right there in not back-to-back game, not back-to-back nights, but back-to-back games. Both of those teams, because the top three teams in the East all have a better winning percentage than the Nuggets, so you're talking about the best record in the league and the third best record in the league coming into Denver. And looming over all of that is the specter of the MVP race in which Nikola Jokic has won the last two over Giannis and Tito Kupu, who's won two of his own, by the way, also back-to-back. And right. Joel Embiid, who has made it very, very clear that he's quite upset that he doesn't have one yet. But, but doesn't hold it against either Giannis or Jokic no. that he doesn't the have voters one. he does. Says he admires them both yeah. greatly. Here's the, the trick with that, too. Well, I, I've, I've been pretty consistent on this. Has Jokic been good enough to win the MVP? I don't know what else you can ask. His team has been the tops in his conference all year long. He's been the best player on the best team in the West. I don't know what else you can ask. But he's not going to win a third one. He's not. Because humans vote on this and humans like narratives. And the truth of the matter is, I don't care how you slice it. If you want to argue that Nikola Jokic should win the MVP, you left plenty of ammunition to do it. If you want to argue that Joel Embiid should be the MVP, you left plenty of ammunition to do it. If you want to argue that Giannis should win it again, You'll have plenty of ammunition to do it. To my mind, for the exact reasons I talked about Jokic, if I were to vote for the MVP this year right now, sorry, Nuggets fans, I would say it's Giannis. Because so they, would they, George Carl. It's the same argument, way. right? He's the best player on the best team in the whole league. But, it, it, but, it, but here's it, where it gets interesting. But, though. I mean, you can't really be wrong. Any of these no, three guys, no. if, if, you're, if you say that's your guy for MVP, you're not wrong. You can make a clear argument for any of them. David Aldridge wrote a column today for The Athletic. Entitled, in NBA MVP race, no need to belittle Jokic, Embiid, or Giannis to make your guy big. And he said, I'm sick of all the stuff with Jokic, and I'm nice sick of there, Embiid, and I'm slightly guys. less sick <laughs> of Giannis. Okay? In supposed service, he writes, to your favored candidates for MVP most, NBA Most Valuable Player. Honors this season, you're creating a river of virtual bile, bites of contempt, segments of Drek, and you're not helping your guy's case. And I, I couldn't agree more with him on that. This is not about the players themselves, he writes, all of whom form a mutual admiration society. Right. Well, they know, you know, they, you think about this, Sports Illustrated, last month, its cover had Nikola Jokic on it. And it was talking about the nature of post-play and how it had been as something of a dying art form in the last decade of NBA basketball. Hmm. Who's some of the best post players in the league? Nikola Jokic, Giannis, Embiid. There's there's a pattern there again. But uh, they aren't purely no, post they are not. Players. But they but when they need a bucket, they are highly skilled in getting down low and doing what needs to be done. And so you really can't go wrong with any pick for MVP. And I think that's why it makes it very difficult for Jokic to win it three times in a row. Giannis is the best player on the best regular season team. Yes. He's unquestionably their best player. No doubt. Carries the team. Jokic is having, in my opinion, a better year than he had in 22-21. I do not disagree. And he was the MVP in both those years. I think he's been better 
this year than he's been in the other two years in which he won the award. So if you voted for him then, I think the argument for Jokic is even stronger now, given how much he has helped Murray, uh, to a lesser extent Porter, certainly Gordon, who's this year without question focused on the idea that if I cut to the basket, yeah, he'll he find will me. find me. And I get two or three dunks a game if I'm moving without the ball. The Embiid argument is that head-to-head against Giannis and Jokic, he has generally fared well. He had a 47-point game in a big come-from-behind Philly win over Denver yep. a few weeks ago. So He's the and, league and leader in point scoring. George Carl said it uh, yesterday on our podcast. He said... There is the possibility that in the history of basketball, there has been no more talented big man than Joel Embiid with more ways to score uh, and therefore more ways to be unstoppable. Uh, You know, there was no three-point shot, certainly for big men of the 60s and most of the 70s unless you played in the ABA. And there is now. But I agree with George that Embiid might be as thoroughly talented as a big man on both ends of the floor as anybody I've ever seen. And they both represent constituencies far from the United States. Yeah, all three of them do. All three. Which is really remarkable. What's well, Embiid? Cameroon? Yep. And, and uh, Greece you've got for Giannis, Greece of course. Greece for Giannis. And, of course, and Serbia for the Serbian Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I mean, uh, some extraordinary global talent. And remember, the only other person who was really in the mix for MVP in the early going? And I suppose Luka we Dodges. should say for Giannis, Greece slash Nigeria. Right, right. But definitely not the United States. And uh, it, it is a, a pretty remarkable run from all of these guys. But yesterday, as you pointed out, Coach Carl on his uh, podcast that you host with him, by the way, Truth and Basketball, uh, talked a little bit about the MVP situation. Here's what he said. I agree that the national voting machine has tilted it to those two guys. One, I think Giannis should be in the voting. (laughs) And two... Best player on the best team. I, I just think it's East Coast media, bigger markets... More and more and more play in the morning on all the, all the sports talk shows on TV now. Embiid has gotten more people rooting for him. Yeah. But I totally think Jokic has had a, a marvelous year. I don't know if Jokic can do better than he did, does this year. This year, his numbers are unbelievably. And, and what, the thing I said... I was on Twitter about they, they took something off a radio show I did on Sirius FM, mm-hmm. XM, and uh, I love Embiid as a player. I think he, I think he might be the most talented big guy ever to play the game. Extraordinarily talented. The, the abilities he has is unbelievable. I don't like him as a leader. I don't like him as a teammate. I don't like him as his body language. And I don't like radio to take my words out of context and put it on Twitter. 
And that's the one thing that kind of bothers me, that they can, they can take a, a, a quote out of context and make it sound awful. When I was on the radio saying exactly what I'm saying now, that Embiid is wonderful, but he's not the best. He's not the best, most valuable player. Well, we will find out, obviously. That was Coach Carl. You can catch the rest of it on the Truth in Basketball podcast. And, and then after the game, the idea that you don't have to necessarily rip all the other guys yeah. was, quite frankly, echoed by Coach Michael Malone. When you win two MVPs and when you win games at a high level and when you sign the richest contract in NBA history, that that changes most people. And uh, Nicola is still the same person. He's humble. He's selfless. He's embarrassed by the attention. Um, and the only thing I'll say on that is, and I think this year, compared to last two years, I think this year, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's just taken a really ugly, nasty turn in the MVP conversation. And I think it's really turned a lot of people off, including him. Uh, and what's happening now is there's so many guys that could win the MVP this year. Great candidates. Joel Embiid is a great candidate. Luka Doncic is a great candidate. Uh, Jason Tatum, whoever you want to put in that mix, like those are all deserving. But what happens in today's society is that everybody, um, it's like when I was a college coach, all the negative recruiting, it's not promoting my guy, it's ripping down every other guy. And that's just ridiculous. This game is, as Adam Silver told us at the All-Star break, the game is in a great spot. The league's in a great spot. We have great players. Celebrate them. Don't criticize. Don't tear them down. Build them all up. And whoever wins it, good for them. And that, that's one thing that's been really disappointing this year with the whole MVP conversation and all the hot takes. It's really just gotten ugly and nasty, and uh, I really don't care for it. Very well said. Yeah, and and uh, I, I think even as Malone put it, I, even Jokic appears to be sort of done with it. And that doesn't really matter because for the Denver Nuggets, they have a bigger plans than just getting a guy an MVP for the first time in their history trying to lock down the Western Conference top seed on their way to hopefully their first appearance in the NBA Finals. There's a long way to go with only nine of those are regular season affairs starting on Saturday as the last big road trip of the year comes to an end. The next uh, out of the remaining games for the Denver Nuggets, five are at home, four on the road. We'll see how they finish up. We'll have an opportunity to touch base with the Denver Broncos. Of course, mixing my sports metaphors there. Opening day, or sort of less around the corner. But we'll look at the Broncos uh, an entire offseason because we haven't had a chance to talk to our next guest about it. The one and only Romy Bean will join Sandy and I next on Mile High Sports. You lose every connection. I get home.